Right. I have been preaching on something I call the four F's, this wonderful system of principles by which all the scriptures come together and consolidate into a pattern of action that we can apply our lives to that will cause us to walk with God effectively. And those four F's are fellowship, focus, function, and fruit. We begin with fellowship. In fellowship, we receive focus. Focus um, leads to function. Function produces fruit. And you can apply this at every level, every area of your walk with the Lord. And so we've been talking about focus. What is focus? And what does the Bible refer to? Uh, uh, what is the Bible talking about when it refers to having a focus? And kind of still in that theme, and particularly with our, our um, service today, focused on rededication. I want to talk about having your eyes on the prize. Everyone say, eyes on the prize. Now that phrase is not new to you, but I hope this morning that the Lord will sharpen your mind and your heart with regard to your eyes being on the prize of God's call in your life. In 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 1, it's a wonderful story about the great, probably the greatest prophet in Israel, Elijah, and his predecessor, um, or his successor, I should say, who, who served him and was kind of his uh, novice, if you will, and uh, trained him, Elisha. So there's Elijah and Elisha, for those who perhaps aren't familiar with this story. And Elijah is at the end of his life. And everybody knows the Holy Spirit has revealed that Elijah is going to be swept up. God is going to take him. They don't know what it's going to look like or how it's going to happen. God is going to take Elijah any day. And so Elisha, who follows him, carries his luggage, gets his food for him, serves him in every way he needs to be served, encourages him as a companion to him, is naturally wondering what is going to be happening with my life. So this is this is, this is not uh, a secret. It's kind of knowledge out there among people that pray and hear from God. So this is the story of that transition between the mantle of the prophet that has been upon Elijah being transferred to Elisha. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1. And I'm going to read this just because there's prob probably people here who either aren't familiar with the story or perhaps it's been a while. I just want you to catch what's happening. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were traveling from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has told me to go to Bethel. But Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went down together to Bethel. Now the sons of the prophets which were a prophetic guild, if you will, kind of a spiritual club. The sons of the prophets from Bethel came to Elisha and asked him, Did you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? So apparently the sons of the prophets had some sense that, that Elijah, the day had come, was going to be taken and so Elisha says back to them, of course I know it. You be quiet. And King James says, hold your peace. But it was a nice way of saying, just hush and mind your own business. Then Elijah said to Elisha again, we'll stay here because God now has told me to go to Jericho. 
But Elisha again replied, As surely as the Lord lives, and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went on together to Jericho. Now the sons of the prophets, that prophetic guild from Jericho, came to Elisha and asked him, Did you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? Of course I know it, said Elisha. Hush up, be quiet. Then Elijah said to Elisha, You stay here, for the Lord has told me to go beyond the Jordan River. But Elisha replies again, Surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will never leave you. So they went on together. Now I want to pause for a moment and tell you how this relationship began. At a point in Elijah's life where he was very discouraged, he ran away down to Mount Horeb and he was in the cave and he was calling out on God and he wanted his life to be over, wanted God to kill him. And God spoke to him and said, your life cannot end now. You still have work to do. I've called you. And he showed him some things he needed to do. And one of them, he says, you're going to go back up to Israel and I want you to go to this particular farm. You're going to see a boy out there plowing. His name is like yours, but it's Elisha. And I want you to call him because he is going to succeed you as the prophet in Israel. But I want you to call him as your, your protege, as your servant. So Elijah goes back to Elisha and he sees Elisha, sure enough, on the farm, out in the field. He's plowing. And Elijah goes up to him, takes his mantle off, his cloak, which represents his, his prophetic authority with God. Takes his mantle off, walks up to Elisha, throws it on his back. And Elisha feels something. And so Elijah pulls it back off of him, wraps it around his own shoulders, and looks at him and said, What? What? What have I done to you? And turns and starts to walk away. Elisha knows what's going on. He intuitively realizes, God, I, I felt that anointing. I, oh, man. I don't, I, right then and there, Right then and there, the farm, the future, the family, whatever his life might be, just all of a sudden just vanished. All he knew was one thing, I want that in my life. That, what I just felt, that power, the presence of God. I want that. So there goes Elijah. Elijah's walking off with the mantle. Elijah follows after and says, hey, 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 hold on. Uh... Uh, do you need any, you need an assistant, you need some helper? And so the arrangement is made, and that's how Elijah called Elisha. He just simply threw the mantle on him. Now, years forward, we're back here, and it's the last day on earth for Elijah. And he now says, for the second time, as he's in, he's in the city of Jericho, he says, Elisha, you, you stay here. You've served me, um, you know, you've done your job. Uh, the Lord's called me to go down to the Jordan River. Once again, Elisha says, I will absolutely not leave you. I, you. If you're going somewhere, I'm going. I don't care where you go. I am with you. So the Bible says that they went down to the Jordan River and Elijah folded his mantle up and then smote the waters with it and the river divided and the two of them went across on dry ground. And when they came to the other side, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken away? And Elisha quickly replied, Please, let me inherit a double portion 
of your anointing and become your successor. And Elijah turns to him and says something that Elisha has never heard before come out of his mouth. All the things that he's been through, all the things this prophet of God has done, he's never heard these words. When Elijah turns to him and says, you have asked a hard thing. Elijah has never referred to anything as being hard. But he says, what you just asked is hard. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken up from you, then you will get your request. But if not, you won't. And as they walked along, talking, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared, drawn by horses of fire, not a chariot on fire, not horses on fire, a chariot and horses made up of fire. And it came straight at them like a rocket, and it split between the two of them and separated them asunder. And immediately Elijah was swept up by a whirlwind that carried him into heaven. Continuing in verse 12, Elisha saw it and cried out, My father, my father, I see the chariots and the charioteers of Israel. And as they disappeared from sight, Elisha tore his clothes in distress. But then he looks around and it says, Elisha took up Elijah's cloak. Apparently when he went up, he left something behind. That mantle that years before he had put on Elisha's back. There it was, folded up, laying on the ground, a puddle of cloth by anybody else's description. Nothing special about it. But the Bible says Elisha picks up that cloak which had fallen when Elijah was taken up. And then he returns to the bank of the river Jordan where 50 of the sons of the prophets are on the other side watching this entire thing. And the scripture says that he rolled up the cloak and he shouts out, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And he smites the river and it parts once again. And he walks over on dry ground and it says, and then the sons of the prophets, the prophetic guild from Jericho saw from a distance what had happened and they exclaimed, oh, now they've got the word of the Lord. Elisha's spirit rests on Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Oh, this little passage is just rich with metaphors, isn't it? There's all kinds of messages. And I want to pick out a couple things and tell you right off the bat, this message is about finishing. God has a lot of workers, but he doesn't have a lot of finishers. There's a lot of starters. But not everyone that starts finishes. And this message is about finishing. The scripture says that when Elisha asks Elijah, or Elijah asks Elisha to stay, just stay. You, you can stay here in Gilgal, or you can stay here in Bethel, or you can stay here in Jericho. All three times, Elisha says, absolutely not. If there's a God in heaven, and as long as you're alive, I am with you. I was listening to the radio this week, and... Um, I happened to turn on to a channel where there was an interview going on in a talk show with Carly Fiorina. How many of you know who Carly Fiorina is? Carly was uh, one of the Republican candidates in uh, the 19, uh, the 19, 
the 2016 primary. And um, so she is a former Republican presidential candidate. She was the former CEO of Hewlett Packard. She was the very first female CEO of a Fortune 500 company. And Carly has just written a book about tapping and developing your potential. Now that's kind of the theme of the book, but the title is Find Your Way. Well, I tell you, I ran home after I heard what she said about her book and the theme of it. Um, I ran home and I ordered it on Amazon. It's going to be delivered uh, Tuesday. I'll probably have it read by next Sunday. What she said so grabbed me. I just know this is going to be a great book, and I haven't even read it yet. But the one thing that she said as a theme that uh, at the interviewer had asked her uh, about was that it's more important in life to pick a path than to pick a plan. I said, oh my God, I've been trying to tell people that for years. There are tons of Christians who live from plan to plan. They're always looking for that plan that's going to make them succeed or bring fulfillment. But the Lord has not called us to plans. He's called us to a path, one path. There are so many people that live according to plans, but they don't know what it means to have a path in their life. Focus on purpose is more important than focus on goals. Now, there's nothing wrong with having goals in life. But you can have goals and never fulfill your purpose. But you cannot fulfill God's will if you don't know his purpose and if you're not following it like Elisha followed Elijah. Three times Elijah invites Elisha, invites him to retire, to stay behind. You've done enough. Thank you for your service. You may stay here with the sons of the prophets. And you can just see Elisha looking at the sons of the prophets. And we're going to talk about the sons of the prophets in a minute. But looking at the sons of the prophets saying, no, thank you. I signed up to follow you. You're still here, so I'm still following. Amen? So three times he is invited and he never accepts the offer. And I'm encouraging you, never Accept the offer, even if it seems to come from your purpose or God himself. Never accept the offer to sit down, stay behind, or retire when it comes to the things of God in your life. Never, ever retire. Don't even let God talk you into retiring. Because let me tell you, if God suggests to you, why don't you stay here in Gilgal? You've done a good job. Thank you. Just know, just know that he is not refusing to let you follow him further or go deeper or go beyond where you've gone. He is simply testing you to see if he can turn a worker into a finisher. Amen. Too often we're more concerned with accomplishing a goal than we are with finishing a purpose. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the apostle Paul says, Do you not know that in a race... Every runner competes, but only one receives the prize. So you run your race. That means you're not running against the person sitting next to you. You're running against yourself. You run your race so that you may lay hold of the prize and make it yours. Why are we running this race in God? Why do we get up and profess Christ? Why do we come out and gather with the saints? 
Why the morning devotionals? What is the purpose of these things? Is it so that you could just live daily through life and at one point you could say, well, I fulfill what the Lord's given me. I'm going to retire. No, if you're truly not just, not just a worker, but you are a finisher, then you are running to obtain a prize. And unless you have fully obtained that prize, don't stop running. Let me, uh, let me add this to you. If you're going to run this race, if you are going to focus on the prize, with eyes on the prize, guard your desire. Everyone say desire. desire. Your desire is your own responsibility. God cannot give you desire if you don't have it. You either have it or you don't. Now, God can provoke, God can desire, uh, 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 inspire, God can feed, God can entice, God can draw. But if you refuse to desire Him, if you refuse to desire the things of God, if pursuing the Lord for a greater purpose in your life than just being a functionary in some system somewhere that's going to be rolled up and blown away, if you don't have a desire to do more than that, you will never run the race for the prize. Your desire is your responsibility. Manage it. Feed it. Guard it. In Psalm 27 and 4, David said, One thing have I desired. He didn't say God gave me the desire. One thing I have desired of the Lord, and that also will I seek. You see, if you lose your desire, you're going to stop seeking. You're going to stop following. If Elisha had lost his desire, he would have taken Elijah up on his offer. He would have stayed at Gilgal or perhaps at Bethel, or perhaps uh, in the beautiful city of Jericho, the city of Palms. Hung out in a place where he was uh, respected, highly regarded by the sons of the prophets. He would have camped out. Hey, I've got Elijah's blessing. He said, I, I'm done. Thank you for your service. The only thing that made him pass up on those offers to retire was desire. Desire. Keep your desire for the things of God, fulfilling God's purpose in your life. Make it prominent, keep it prominent, feed it, and kill anything that dampens it. Anything that chokes it, it's a weed. Pull it out and get rid of it. Are you listening to me? Your desire is the only thing that's going to keep you pursuing God and His assignment for your life. When other believers and even God Himself seem to be saying to you, quit and go home. Nobody has permission to tell you you're finished. Nobody in this world, nor no set of circumstances, have been authorized by God to tell you your race is over. It's not over until you see the resurrected Jesus. Amen. Can you say amen? Let's talk for a moment about the sons of the prophets. This is quite a group, these guys. They... They appeared several places throughout the Old Testament. Apparently, a number of these cities, uh, certainly uh, Jericho had them, certainly Bethel had them. And what they were is they were basically a prophetic guild, like you'd have, um, you know, uh, like you'd have an ironworkers guild, you know, or a carpenters guild. It was a club. So it was a club of prophets, or it was a spiritual club. And uh, the sons of the prophets, the scripture says, from Jericho, they, they saw from a distance what had happened when the chariots of fire parted them asunder. But, but um, 
Elisha kept his eyes on Elijah and saw him go up, even when the chariots blew right through them, between them. And the Bible says they saw what happened, and listen to these spiritual geniuses, these giants, if you will. They, they exclaimed when they saw it, Elijah's spirit rests upon Elisha. Well, thank you, Captain Obvious. Wow. The Spirit of God has had Elisha had the kind of faith these guys operate in. Believe me, he would have never kept his eyes on Elijah. They didn't proclaim it until they saw it. He saw it and acted upon it before it ever happened. And so they went to meet him and they bowed before him. Listen, let me just give you some advice. If you want to if you want to uh, keep your eyes on the prize, stay out of those spiritual clubs. Never get sucked into a prophetic guild. It is just, after all, a spiritual club. And they, they always, these spiritual clubs, these prophetic clatches, over the years, I, re I remember when they became quite popular here in, in America back in the 90s, in the early 90s, there were these hubs if you will, of prophets gathering in Kansas City and other places around the country and everything. And um, it just, just rubbed me the wrong way. It just turned me off. There was something about it. And I wasn't being judgmental of anybody. I just thought the whole concept, it goes right back to the sons of the prophets. And those guys never knew anything. They never got anything right. Um, you know, they, they might have taught Sunday school in Israel, but none of them knew what God was doing. You know, the thing about a spiritual club or a, or, a, or a prophetic guild is they always know a little bit more than the average person, but they never really know what God's doing. And, you know, they are, they're a bunch of spiritual gossips. They get together, and Jeremiah had them dialed in. Jeremiah said, you guys steal your prophecies from one another. You get together in your prophetic conventions... And you hear one another prophesy until you have refined yourselves into a message that you have concocted in the lobby. And then you all go back to your own place, your own churches, and you all tell everybody what God is saying. But the fact of the matter is, is that really they're not prophets at all. But they are just simply analysts of the trends. And how many of you need more analyzing of what's going on today, more commentary? We don't need more commentary. We need to hear what the Spirit of God is saying. And believe me, the Lord has never ordained a group. He ordained individuals. Notice that. God never called a group. God never ordained an a organization or a committee. God ordains individuals, and they work together in unity. Individuals serving the Lord as individuals, responsible to Him, functioning together in the body of Christ. That is not a club. That is the body of Christ. And you say, Amen. You know, Elijah refused to follow the prophetic guild because allegiance to a group will always cost you the fulfillment of your own call. As I said, God never ordained a group, just individuals. So let's get on the other side of the river. There's Elijah, there's Elisha. In the last few moments, Elisha's heart must be pounding. It's going to happen any moment. He must be thinking, I know I would, what's this going to look like? God's going to take him. What's going to happen? And he's thinking, my master's going to go. I have perhaps minutes. 
I have spent my life serving and following. I want that anointing. I want that mantle, not just the cloak. I want what it represents on my life. I've left everything. I just left three great opportunities to retire. I just left wonderful opportunities. I probably wouldn't have had to work a day in my life. I would have been cared for. I would have been loved. I would have been appreciated. I would have been respected. People would come by my house every day saying, talk to us and, and advise us. I, had all the, I would have had all the attention that Facebook could possibly give me. He had all of that opportunity. I just left all of it. I've spent a lifetime walking away from everything just so that I can have God the way Elijah has God. Can you say amen? amen. And so there he stands and he's thinking, he's going to be leaving in a moment. What, what's going to happen? And finally, Elijah says, what can I do for you? That's his moment. And he jumps right into it and says, I want a double portion. Amen. Yes. I want twice. What? What gumption? What was that talking through him? Was that insolence? Was that, uh, was that spiritual pride? It was something called desire. When you're desirous and you know that God is good, and when you have walked enough with God that you know what it's like, you will ask for the double portion. I want twice the presence and the anointing of God upon my life that you have before you go. And Elijah turns to Elisha and he says, that's hard. That's going to be hard. Now, why did the man who called fire down from heaven, turned off the rain for three and a half years and then turned it back on again, blinded an entire enemy army, brought down the evil regime of Ahab and Jezebel and about eight other notable, tremendous miracles and never once said any of those things were hard. Why did he now, for the first time in his life, say, that's hard? Asking for the double, that is hard. The reason is because it is hard. Listen to me. It's hard to ignore the natural advice and the opportunities around you in order to keep your eyes focused on the prize that God has set before you. And the farther you go, the harder it gets. You'll find that as your life continues to go on and you serve God, that your greatest work and maybe sometimes your most intense stress is going to be shutting out everything else that is taking your time and attention and dividing it so that there's nothing left to follow the plan of God in your life and to seek that out. And so his life had gotten right down to that, literally using every ounce of his moral fiber and his mental focus and his emotional energy to stay committed. All right, I will watch you. He said, nevertheless, although it's hard, it's not impossible, but there's only one way to get it. Listen to me this morning. It's not impossible to have the double point, double portion. There's just one way, just one, to get it. When I ascend, you've got to be keeping your eyes on me. Do not divert. Don't turn your eyes away. Not for one moment. Watch me. Now, you and I sitting here in the comfort of a, in the comfort of this air-conditioned sanctuary this morning might think, oh. 
nothing to it. But put yourself where Elisha was, and all of a sudden, no sooner has Elijah said, you must keep your eyes on me, and here comes like a fiery rocket shooting at them probably like uh, 500 miles an hour right across that, uh, that flat valley floor is a fireball chariot and horses. And it's coming directly at them and bam, splits them apart one from another. God has just separated Elijah from Elisha. And yet he knows he can't have it if he watches the chariot. And so he keeps his eyes on Elijah. And immediately as the chariot breaks them apart, the Bible says a whirlwind started up and it grabbed Elijah, Elijah and began to lift him up into heaven. And he stood there and watched as Elijah disappeared out of his sight. The chariot went off. And when Elijah was gone, he looked at the chariot. And he said, oh my God, the chariot of God. He didn't know what to say. Father, Father, the, the chariot of God. He's babbling. He's just, he's just like Peter. Lord, it's good for us to be here. Let us build uh, three big churches. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration. You know, you get into the presence of God. You say stupid things. And God says, all right, son, don't worry about it. Just listen to Jesus. Just calm down. Just take it easy. Um, and then all of a sudden, the scene goes right back to flat, except there's the mantle lying on the ground. And he picks it up. He walks back to the river. Now, now the genius is on the other side. Oh, behold, says the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord is on Elisha. When they see him, smite the water, and it parts both ways. You see, if you live for the opinions of others, if you wait for the approval of other people, like that commercial Captain Obvious, he's so obnoxious. Um, because all he does is analyze the trends. He doesn't really know what's going on. And so the reason why you don't want to live for the approval of people is because they can analyze accurately what's going on around you or perhaps just the natural circumstances of your life, but they cannot ever tell you what you can only hear from the Holy Spirit. Amen. And that's why if you're in a spiritual club, get out of it. Resign, leave it, and stand on your own before God. Now, I'm not inviting you to leave church. Uh, <laughs> like I said, it's just between a, 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 a prophetic uh, uh, clatch of clucking hens, all borrowing their prophecies from one another, and the body of Christ where each individual is seeking the face of God. You know there's no such thing as group faith, don't you? You know that you can't go find a church where they, where they preach the gospel and the presence of the Lord. So the more Christians that go into churches, they say, oh, I felt the presence of the Lord here. I'm going to go to this church. Yeah, just because you felt the presence of the Lord in that church doesn't mean anything about you. Are you following him? Are you receiving from the Lord? You know, you, you, can, you can be near it and not be in it, not receive it. God wants to fill you with his presence. God wants you to know him. Can you say amen? So you, you, there is no club that's going to get you to heaven. There's no club that's going to help you to fulfill the purpose of God in your life. Let me close with this one thought. 
Um, not only does he keep his eyes on him when he goes up, but the Bible says, Elisha took up. Everyone say, took up. Elijah, Elisha took up Elijah's cloak and then shouted out loud where everyone could hear him, where is the God of Elijah? And he smote the waters. Wouldn't have he felt foolish if he'd have made that big pretense and he probably spun it around his head once or twice. Where's the God of Elijah? Bam! He hit the water. And nothing. A ripple, ripple in the water. Limp, now wet, coat. And nothing happened. Everybody would look at him and say, he didn't get it. It was all a big shim. He doesn't have that anointing. Why not just keep it all private? Don't do any of that. And that way people always wonder. Because you could always go join the sons of the prophets and you could just join them and be with them. And, you know, you could say intelligent, smart things and add little things every now and they'll think you're spiritual. And, you know, the problem with a group is that they, you know, like I said, they'll rise a little bit above, you know, the people around them. But you're, you're never going to get where God is calling you to be with group faith. So... What does he do? He risks everything. So let me just wrap up and say to you, keep your eyes on the prize. This whole story really does not crystallize until you go to Acts chapter 1 and the disciples are standing as Jesus is in his parting last words telling them to go to the upper room and wait to receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And the scripture says, I think it's verse uh, one, 10, 11, somewhere around there, 8, 9, 10, 11. Read the whole thing. It, it'll do you good. Um, and uh, they stand there, and as he's talking and finishing his statement, he starts to lift off the ground. And similar to Elijah, Jesus is rising into the air, and a cloud gathers around him, and he's caught up into the clouds and taken out of their sight. And they're standing there like this. And the Bible says two angels appear beside them. And the two angels say, men of Israel, why do you stand here gazing up? Well, duh, did you see what just happened? What do you think we're standing here gazing up for? You're kind of obvious. But these are angels, so they're, you know, that was not a rhetorical question. It, it, it was a rhetorical question, I mean, because it led to the instruction, go. As the Lord is instructed, go and wait for the Holy Spirit in the upper room. Jesus appeared to 500 disciples, probably that group, as he ascended up. 500. How many were in the upper room? You remember? 100. Where's the 380? Where were they? Where's the 380? Out of 500, 120 of them kept their eyes on the ascended Jesus. What were they doing in the upper room? They were watching the ascended Jesus. Physically, he had gone out of their sight, but they weren't done keeping their eyes on him. They were there because he lived. See, once Elijah went, he went, you know, he was out of Elisha's focus. But Jesus was not out of their focus, and they went to the upper room and spent I don't know how many days praying, and they never stopped looking up. They just left the hill that day, went to, went to the upper room, and just stayed in the upper room. Father, show us, we're waiting on you. 
And we want that anointing and the mantle of Jesus. On the day of Pentecost, fell upon them. 120 of them. My question is, because that's obvious, where was the 380? They were chasing the chariot. It's the same thing people have been doing for 2,000 years. The supernatural move of God. I love it. I love that God sent a fiery chariot. I, I just think that's awesome. We don't have enough of that today. We don't have enough fiery chariots. It's great. But the fiery chariot didn't bring the anointing. Are you listening to me? The, the anointing that he was asking, the double portion wasn't on the chariot. The chariot didn't fly up there, stop, and say, here's your double portion, and give it to Elisha. It had one purpose, to separate them. And I'll tell you, there's more people that have gone to revival meetings and seen the supernatural power of God, and they, their eyes follow the miracles. Their eyes follow the supernatural, and they take them off of Jesus. You will know why every one of these revivals always turns ridiculous eventually and dies a pitiful, sad, shameful death. What started out so wonderful ends up just dissolving it's because people follow the chariot. They get their eyes on the chariot, get their eyes off of God. Why does God pour out his spirit? He pours out his spirit so that Elisha will follow Elijah and keep his eyes on him. Can you say amen? 380, you know, they probably got saved. They, they you know, probably received the Lord. Who knows how they all ended up. All I know is on the day of Pentecost, they weren't there. They weren't there. They stopped watching. Don't be one of the ones that stop watching. Pursue, keep your eyes on the prize, and go after Jesus. Can you say amen? amen. I want you to stand with me this morning. Um,